Um, we are in Acts chapter 16, finishing up Acts chapter 16 today. And just as a quick reminder, this is Paul's second missionary journey. And man, I think I said this on the air yesterday, Brad, what a dream team. You got Paul, <coughs> Silas, Timothy, and Luke. I mean, this is the original God squad right here. I mean, these guys, this was an awesome missionary team that originally, remember last week and even the week before, we looked at how God was moving Paul. Remember, it's not too much earlier that this was a guy killing Christians. He was persecuting the church and God said, no, this is my guy. When you look at how God took Paul and turned him into this guy who was wherever he went, the Gospel went. That's what we should be. We look at Paul as some super spiritual guy. This was a guy that murdered Christians. And God said, I'm going to use you. And He brings us here to use us. And so as we look at this second missionary journey, he's going now planning a beachhead in Europe, in Philippi, which was Roman territories, a Roman colony. It was like a little Rome. And remember, uh, he had a vision of a man saying, help me. He goes there with uh, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And when they get there, they encounter this classic Greek culture. It's a culture that basically rejects Yahweh. El Elyon, they would have known him as. And what we've seen are three stories that Luke intertwines together in this letter to Theophilus of three different people. You got an entrepreneurial businesswoman, you got a demon possessed slave girl, and then you got today this jailer who was probably a Roman soldier who now in the twilight of his life become a jailer because he still has this sense of identity in serving Rome. And all three stories are Paul intersecting with the culture. People who place their faith in money in the lady, Lydia. People who place their faith in false religion in the young girl. People who place their faith in their government in this Roman jailer. And Jesus is over them all. And remember, God revealed through His Word that Jesus, when He stepped into Capernaum in the, in the synagogue, says, I've come to what? Proclaim good news to set the captives free. There's so many people held captive. We're supposed to be bold weapons for truth. We saw that last week in a world full of lies. We're supposed to be bold warriors for mercy. We're supposed to be warriors, guys. That's one reason I call it a SWAT summer training day. It's not a retreat. We don't, warriors don't retreat. We, we press on. And we're supposed to be witnesses of His love. And that's a strange combination, a weapon, a warrior of His love, really, when you stop and think about it. And so, as we left last week, you remember what happened? Uh, Paul cast the demon out of the young girl, set her free. Her owners weren't happy. They got a magistrate involved, which was like the, the praetor. They called themselves praetors or like the, the local head guy who had some police guys called lictors. And they had rods. And when that magistrate said, this guy's broken the law, beat him, they would just open their shirts right there and beat him with rods. 
And that's what they did. We saw that last week. And then they put them in stocks in the prison. And it wasn't just a stock where they sit there with their feet and hands in one place. It was kind of spread out. It was almost torturous. And that's where we left it. And today we're in 25 through 40. And we've kind of been following Paul and Silas as kingdom priests going through this process. And today, they're still kingdom priests who are now encountering some trials because now they're in prison, in stocks. They've been beaten and they're there. And as kingdom priests, what we see in this text today is God calls us to keep our eyes on Him to persevere through difficult circumstances. You can't just persevere through difficult circumstances like this. When they beat you, they beat you the way they beat them and then put them in torturous stocks at the inner prison. It's hard to maintain your hope unless you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's the first principle. Second principle, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because you not only to persevere, but so that you can be the message to the hurting. That's right. Be. Not just give the message. You are the message. As people watch you go through these difficult times in your life, you are the message. They watch you. How you live your life. How you respond. And right now in our culture, we're not doing a very good job of being the message. There's a lot of gospel confusion out there. People say this, but they live this way. People don't even know what the gospel is anymore. But we are to be the message as we fix our eyes on Him. And finally, if we fix our eyes on Him, we're not only able to persevere through these bad circumstances and be the message, you know what? We also know how to care for the flock, those brothers and sisters around us. And we see that in the text today. Paul doesn't just think about himself. He actually cares for the flock. He's leaving this flock and he cares for them. And it's really neat what we see in the text. So we're going to read 25 through 40. We're going to look at each one of these three principles. And I think you're going to be surprised how much it relates to the Bible. I mean, how the Bible, as you fix your eyes on Jesus, it's going back to the text. So starting in verse 25 of chapter 16 of Acts. Join me in reading. So, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now when the jailer woke and saw that prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, I don't like sirs, that's what it says in mine, but the word there is kurios in the Greek, and it means master. Lord. It's plural, so it would be masters or lords. So get the picture here. This is a Roman soldier who's now a Roman jailer bowing before two Jewish guys saying, Masters, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? Nope, ain't going to happen. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid. You notice how the tide turned here? Paul and Silas go in and they're not on top. They're the bottom of the food chain. But now, you've got a magistrate afraid, you've got the jailer afraid, and they're bowing down to these guys. And they were afraid and they heard that they were Roman citizens, so they came and apologized to them. That didn't happen. A praetor doesn't go apologize to a Jewish guy. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and they visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I find it interesting in verse 25 that these men are beaten. I want you to imagine for a second your shirt's ripped off and they take rods and beat your back to the point that blood is coming out of your back and your back is badly bruised. Then you're dragged and put in stocks where your feet are spread, your arms are spread in this real weird position. Are you going to think about praising God and worshiping God at that moment? Most people aren't. I wonder what they were singing. It says they were singing. You know, we don't sing a lot at SWAT. <laughs> Guys don't like to sing very much. Go to church. Next time you go in a church full of... Look around at all the men. <laughs> the ladies are all into it. They're doing their thing. Men are just like, okay, i got to get through this. David sang all the time. In fact, a lot of his psalms were songs. They were songs. In fact, they might have been singing Psalm 59. Listen to this. This could have been a song that they were singing. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. They might have been singing that. It goes on to say, Oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God in His steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph over my enemies. That they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress, a refuge in the day of my distress O oh, my strength, I sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. 
They might have been singing that. They might have been singing Psalm 119. And I find it very, very uh, insightful that Psalm 119 is the longest psalm. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. But Psalm 119.63 says this. 61 to do 63. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you and those who keep your precepts. At midnight. When does Luke say that this was going on? About midnight. See, God has a way of taking people back to the text in the Old Testament. That's Psalm 119, 61 through 63. I've read through this text a thousand times. No kidding. At least a thousand times. I have never in my life connected that verse right there, verse 25, to Psalm 119, 61 through 63 until this last week. And Brad, what do we say all the time? It's like a multifaceted diamond. You never can exhaust it. That's why when I talk to guys and they go, oh, I've read the Bible. How many times? I've read through it every year since 2009 and I read through the Gospels at least six or seven times a year and I still see this and have never connected that to the text. Is that insightful? You bet. Do you think that Luke just threw that in there? When you see times, you see places, you see names, they mean things in the Scriptures. God's taken us back to the text. These are men of the book. Paul probably said, hey Silas, you know, wake me up about midnight and we'll start singing. Because Paul knew the book. He knew the book. They weren't asking God to free them, guys. They were, they were praising Him. Get that picture, worshiping. And it's not like they loved the beating. They, they were just worshiping because of who He is. And, and they even then counted themselves worthy to suffer for Him because they saw a greater purpose than their own suffering. Philippians 1, Paul says this. He says, What has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. How many times when we go through difficult circumstances do we just focus not on God, but on ourselves? On our circumstances? And we miss opportunities because we have become the message. And so we, to persevere through these difficult things, we've got to keep our eyes fixed on Him. Paul said, even if I die, I'm glad in Philippians 2. Now that's a paraphrase, but basically he says, even if I die, if my body's poured out as a drink offering, he says, it's okay. Because it was for you to come to the Gospel. And in Philippians 4, he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. This is, guys, when he's in prison writing this, he's already been in prison before. He's been beaten multiple times. And he says, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Not in your affliction, but in God's sovereignty over that affliction. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 
We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. In other words, people see us going through suffering and they see Jesus in us. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4.16, he says don't lose heart. He says it three times in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Don't lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away, but what? Our inner self is being renewed every day. For this light and momentary affliction... Wait a minute, Paul. What are you calling light? Beaten with rods three times? 39 lashes five times? Stoned? Left in the ocean? You're like you're struggling out there to live? You've been naked? All the In 2 Corinthians 10, he goes through all those things and he says these are light and momentary afflictions that are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do we really believe that? Do we believe, guys, <laughs> that, that God's in control? Do we believe Romans 8.28 when it says all things work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose? Do we really believe it or do we just say those things because we know they're spiritual and they sound good? Because a lot of times what happens is our problems alter our theology. And Paul and Silas did not let that happen. They didn't let their, their problems alter their theology. Their theology was rock solid. It was God's sovereign. We serve Him. If He wants us to go through this, we're going to do it because we're going to be witnesses of our love for Him, not fear. I was talking to a guy this morning. He says, man, I'm just so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. I'm so stressed out. I said, dude, you got two kids. I got eight and six grandkids. I'm stressed out. But I don't live like that. I could be. I, I see you in the gym. He's in the gym three hours a day. How stressed out can you be? I get out of the gym, you'll stop being stressed out. I'm serious. I, I just crack up sometimes at these people out there because when you find your identity in anything other than Christ, you're going to be stressed out. But when you know He's in control, it's what I told that young man on the phone this morning. I said, listen, because he really wants to do this military thing. I said, you know what? Take the test. If God wants you there, leave it in His hands. Do you trust Him? Yeah. Then just don't worry about it. And everybody thinks, well, that's easy for you to say. Amos, how long have you known me? Is that easy for me to say? You've, you've, you've walked with me. Brad, is that easy for me to say? No, we've walked through hard times. But you've got to let God be God and trust in Him. And know that if He takes you through a difficult circumstance, He's taking you through that for His glory some way, somehow, to come out. And you notice in this text, I love that Luke puts this in here. The prisoners were listening. Not just hearing. Yeah, listening. they were listening. That's right. And then verse 26, and suddenly what? There was an earthquake. The doors opened. The shackles popped off. That was some earthquake, wasn't it? 
that popped the shackles off because it wasn't a normal Mother Earth earthquake. It was a God-divine-ordained earthquake. And God popped those shackles off. God opened up all those doors. What do you think those prisoners thought? These men are praying, praising, thanking God for who He is. Whatever they're singing, I wish I knew that tune. (laughs) Because when they're doing it, the earthquake comes and all of a sudden everybody's there. Their shackles go off. The doors are open. They were listening and watching. But when the jailer woke up, he saw the doors open up and he thought everybody was gone. Remember, it's nighttime, right? So he just assumed everybody was gone. And in Rome, if you let a prisoner escape, if you're a jailer and a prisoner escapes, then you have to assume that prisoner's punishment. Did you know that? In ancient Rome, that was the penalty. And so what would happen is a lot of times when that happened to a jailer or, or to a Roman soldier, if they, did, if they were supposed to guard somebody and they got away, it dishonored them. They were dishonored. And they would seize the family's property. Sometimes the family was sold into slavery. And so that jailer, if a Roman would take his life honorably, like if he committed suicide, it would be considered an honorable death and the family would retain the property. So here this guy is. He's an honorable guy. He's going to take his life. Former Roman soldier who's now a jailer. Probably found his whole life purpose in being a military guy serving Rome. He didn't know anything else. You know, people are always searching for meaning and purpose and even salvation in everything but Jesus. Money, popularity, their job, power, sexual pleasure, whatever, you name it. But they all fail to satisfy us. They can't give us salvation. They can't even give us temporary, really, a pleasure because we end up feeling guilty because God created each one of us to know the law on the inside of our hearts. And so this Roman jailer was ready to take his life. But Paul in verse 28 says, don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Now that was interesting too, wasn't it? I mean, because I mean, if I'm in a jail, especially that kind of jail, it's nighttime, an earthquake comes, I'm going, wow, this is my lucky day. I'm out of here. Because when you were in jail, remember, jails were not meant to house people long term. You were there either for crucifixion, the circus, which was basically going in to fight against animals, in the, in the uh, Colosseum, or you were going to be sold into slavery. That was usually what happened when you came, went out of the prison. Very rarely did somebody go into the prison and then get released back to freedom. And so, they're all there. And what happened? The jailer was trembling with fear. And he fell down before Paul and Silas. Now here's the thing. Paul and Silas were there. They were innocent. They didn't do anything. They cast a demon out of a lady. That was it. They, the, the, the world should have been celebrating. This demonically possessed girl was free. Instead, they get thrown in prison. Do you think that jailer when they came in knew that these were not the normal kind of guys that come into prison? 
I'm sure they did. I'm sure he did, knew that. And these prisoners knew that. And they're watching these guys. They're listening to them praising God. And these guys, because their eyes are fixed on Jesus, become the message to the hurting. Not only the jailer, but the people in prison as well. And this jailer, they're watching. These people in there are watching this jailer fall down in front of men that he mistreated. These innocent prisoners risked their lives. They could have gone, but they stayed. And I'm sure they stayed either one because they were afraid of the earthquake. Maybe they said, man, this is the gods bringing judgment. Or maybe they just saw Paul and Bar- or Silas and was thinking, man, let's watch and see what happens. And then they see this j- jailer guy go bow before him. And he says, masters, lords, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't think he was asking about Jesus there. This, was, this guy didn't have any background in, in Torah or, or the Messiah or even who Jesus was other than maybe heard a rumor about it. He's been in a Roman jail in Philippi. He's talking about how do I get saved from whatever caused this earthquake? Whatever God you were praying to, how do I get saved from not dying to that God? Or how do I get saved from taking my own life now that this that you know people are are free? And what do they say to him? They say, "Listen, believe in the Lord Jesus." Why? Why did he ask them that? By the way, why did he go to them? He he was raised in Rome. There was an imperial altar there. Why didn't he go to the imperial altar in the Forum or the Agora? Why didn't he go there and ask for help from the the Roman gods or his ancestors? He goes to Paul and Silas and asks them. You know why? Because he had witnessed the fifth gospel. You know what the fifth gospel is? My friend Dawa over in India calls it the fifth gospel. He was was a, a bodyguard for the Dalai Lama. And his roommate was a Christian. And when you ask him how he came to faith, he says, I saw the fifth gospel. And I said, what's the fifth gospel? He said, it's when it's lived out in life. And it was lived out in Paul and Silas. He witnessed it. He goes to them and says, what must I do? His world fell apart. His idols fell apart. His world was broken. But here's what I want you to notice. That... Salvation is God's work. Who got the jailer ready? Who took his idols down? It was God. We're just the instruments. All we are is the vocal mouthpieces that are there in the lives of these people when God's doing His work. And in verse 31, He says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Just right out of Acts 4. Listen, Acts 4, 2, Acts 4, Acts 8, Acts 11, Acts 13. It's the same message over and over. Jesus, believe in Jesus. Peter says in 4.12, there's no other name by which men will, must be saved. No other name under heaven. They, and then it says verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and his household. So as these men fixed their eyes on Jesus, one, they persevered through the difficult time, but they also became the message to the hurting. They were the message. 
And that's what God calls us to be, the message. And he believed. You know how we know he believed? He risked his life, his family's life, to wash Paul's wounds. To bring Paul into his home and feed him. Think about that. He risked his family's life. A lot of people may risk their life for something, but not their family's life. He was a changed man. He said no to Caesar, yes to God. See, we got a lot of people in our country that want to say yes to Caesar and yes to God, and you can't do that. You can't say yes to both. Oh, but what if this happens and what if this happens? (laughs) Listen, we haven't seen physical persecution yet. We may. Some people have. And we may see more. What if that's you? Are you willing to risk your family to do what God calls you to do? God put it on that man's heart to wash Paul's wounds and to bring Paul into his home. If you knew it was putting your family in jeopardy to go to jail, would you take in somebody who was a missionary? See? I mean, that, that's where the rubber meets the road. Because we can talk about this stuff in theory, but this is real. This was Rome. This guy risked his life and his family's life. And he hadn't even been a believer that long. But he was told by God, and that's how you know it was real. He said no to Caesar and yes to God. Well, what did the jailer do? It says the jailer rejoiced. The jailer rejoiced. Of course he did, man. He has salvation now. He is connected to the one true living God. What do you think Paul told him? By the way, there's a story Vodie Bauckham tells that I think is really good. Vodie Bauckham's this preacher that used to preach in Texas. Brad went out to his church. And it, it, he got it from somebody else because there's nothing original, but it's just such a great illustration of where we are. And he's like a, a, about a father who took his kid to a strawberry patch. And, and him and his father would go out to the strawberry patch and they'd eat those strawberries and they loved them because they were big, luscious you know, strawberries, grown, no preservatives, nobody's putting anything on them. They're just big strawberries growing in the strawberry patch. Well, as time went on, they didn't have time to go to the strawberry patch, but fortunate for them, people were taking strawberries and they were processing them and putting strawberries in different things. You could get strawberry preserves. You could get strawberry jam. You could get all kind of things. Then they started making strawberry purees. Then somebody took it to a laboratory and figured out they could make a taste like strawberries. And, and they could put sweeteners and artificial chemicals in there. It looked like strawberry stuff. Tasted really sweet. And, they, and, and so the son started eating Slurpees. Strawberry Slurpees, and he loved strawberry Slurpees. He loved those things. And years later, the father was feeling nostalgic and he took the son back out to the strawberry patch. And the son ate the strawberry and he goes, I don't like that. And Bodhi says, that's what we've done with the Gospel. That's what we've done with the Gospel. You see... The gospel, everybody knows some type of gospel in our culture. And, and what used to be the gospel, people recognized that there, the gospel was confused in a lot of different circles. 
Some people say it's this. Some people say it's this. So years ago, people started doing this gospel-centered thing and gospel this and gospel that. And the gospel was everywhere, but it was nowhere. Because there was so much gospel confusion. And today we see it too. We see it with social justice. Social justice should be a result of the gospel. Social justice is not the gospel. It's not. I mean, I, I, I can remember where people would say, yeah, we're sharing the gospel with them. And they would go and they never said anything to anybody. They just went and gave them food. That's not the gospel. That's physical food for people. But somewhere along the way, we've confused what the gospel is. Satan is the master at using Trojan horses to get in and infiltrate the church, just like he tried to do with the slave girl last week. These men are slaves of the Most High God. These men are telling you the way of salvation. Oh, then that's a credible messenger over here. No, she's still demon-possessed. And we're not going to partner with demons. And when somebody tells you that you don't need a Savior, that's demonic. That's demonic. This guy says, what must I do to be saved? Now granted, he's talking about saved from the deity that's going to take his life. But let me tell you what, there's more to lose than your physical life. That's your eternal life. And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Well, After this, after this guy rejoices, word comes down the next morning to release Paul and let him go. And Paul says, no, that ain't going to happen. What's that all about? Well, because... Okay, so a couple of things going on. First of all, there was a big earthquake. They don't know they're Roman citizens. Well, maybe, maybe they heard, obviously, that this guy cast... The demon out of the girl. And, and I'm sure that after they beat them, if they were good magistrates, they were getting more information. They didn't just, you know, they just didn't send them over there and forget because it created quite a stir. They had them beaten, they put them in jail. I don't know exactly whether it was the storm, I mean, not the storm, but the earthquake. Maybe. Maybe there was some sense in those guys when they looked at them. And I'm telling you, when you look at people that have done nothing wrong, they have a look about them. And, and, and I mean, most people, when people do something bad and they're arrested and they're responding back, they, they, they show things. And you pick up on things. How people, patterns of how people act. So maybe they saw that and they said, listen, these guys have been beaten. They've been in jail overnight. Let them go. And so they send word back. They didn't know they were Roman citizens. And Paul says, no, tell them that we're Roman citizens. Now, why does he evoke it now? Why didn't he do it when they were beating him? Because Paul did not want anybody to think that he was dependent upon Caesar for anything. He did not want to think he had a valid message because he was a Roman citizen. He didn't want anybody to listen to him because he was a Roman citizen. He wanted to go in there as a citizen of heaven, proclaim the truth and depend on God to get the message out, not any other reason. And when they arrested him, even though he could have, he didn't evoke the Roman citizenship. 
But now he does. Why now? Well, I believe that based upon what the text says, one, the magistrates were afraid when they heard he was a Roman citizen. Why? Because, one, everybody that was associated with the punishment was at risk of punishment now. The guys with the the lictors who had the rods, the magistrate, the jailer, anybody associated with dragging him there were all subject to sometimes even crucifixion for doing that to a Roman citizen. That was pretty big, right? Second thing is that when this guy apologized, he was thinking that would smooth things over hey, you know what? We messed up. I shouldn't have beat you. Really sorry. But could you just go ahead and get out of town? Could you leave? I mean, really? And Paul says, yeah, I'll leave, but you're going to have to walk me out of town. Oh, and by the way, uh, I need to stop by Lydia's house. You know Lydia, the lady who sells purple? I know you know who she is because she does you know, a lot of the wealthy people here in town. I want to stop by her house. No, you need to go out of town. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you remember what you did to me? Uh, remember how the emperor would feel about that? See, so see, now Paul had a, a, a secret. He had leverage over this guy. He had leverage over this guy, not for his own benefit, but for whose benefit? For the flock. Because see, there was a young church in this city that was made up of who? It was made up of Lydia and those women. It was made up of the young slave girl, maybe. The jailer and his family, maybe prisoners that were going to be part of this. And the magistrate had the ability in this Roman colony to make some judgments of letting some things go and other things not go. Not harassing these people. When people would bring up some things against them saying, hey, you know what? Don't bother with them. And all I'm saying is, as you look at this, Paul's secret was protection for Lydia and the church in Philippi that ended up being one of the best churches Paul planted. So, I, I, based upon the fact that it says in the text, verse 40, so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Well, why were they encouraged? Well, how do you think they felt when the guys who shared with them about God were thrown, beaten and thrown in jail? But now you got the magistrate coming by saying, hey, uh-huh. you're, okay. you're okay. You guys are okay. Okay? Pretty, pretty cool story that God tucks in the middle of this chapter. And I I mean, when you see, what was the key to it all? They kept their eyes fixed on Jesus. In the jail, when they were going through the difficult time, when they were the message, and even caring for the flock. When they are getting out, Paul could have said, okay, we'll leave. No, he said, no, we're not going to leave till the magistrate comes down here and walks us. Well, imagine what that must have been like. See, we... You, I don't picture the magistrate coming down there and them silently walking to the edge of town to leave or to Lydia's house and then the edge of town. They were having conversations like we would. They were humans. I would have loved to have heard that conversation. 
Because Paul got beat up probably pretty bad. And that magistrate knew he was at great risk. But he probably had never seen a guy, because in the Roman culture, they only understand power. The weak are cast aside. And so here this guy was beaten because of a command I gave. He was put in prison because of a command I gave. And he's walking with me, and he's not going to use that to get money out of me. All he wants is these people not to be harassed. I mean, what kind of guy is this? Because in their culture, it was all about money and power. He'd never seen a culture like that. I bet that magistrate might have came to Christ. Could have. We don't know. But Paul was a kingdom priest in the prison as well as out of the prison because he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, Bennett, will you close our time in prayer and then we'll open it up for questions.